Hey everybody, this is Hunter Howard. I'm the lead pastor of Encounter Church. Here at Encounter Church, our vision is helping people encounter God. And that's what I pray and hope for you today, that you will encounter God through this message. Enjoy. We've been in this theme all year of multiply, and our aim has been to multiply the I did it out of order today to see if you guys are really paying attention. I did that on purpose, all right? We are to, we are, our, our whole goal this year is to multiply the culture of Jesus through the, through the words of Jesus. How is it that the culture of Jesus gets multiplied? Through his words. In fact, Acts chapter 6 verse 7 says this. This is what happened in the first church. Ready? Let's read it together. Then the word of God spread and the number of the disciples. What happened when the word of God spread? So this year, we've taken uh, Sundays to read through the words of Jesus in the gospel of Mark. And uh, I promised you guys at the beginning of the year we were going to read through the whole gospel of Mark. And uh, Mark has 16 chapters, okay? Today we're going to do Mark 15. We'll take a little break for Christmas. And as promised, the last Sunday of 2021, we will do Mark 16. And we will finish Mark, all right? Well, Ariana's excited. I'm glad. All right. <laughs> Uh, I don't have time to review, you know, what we've learned. Reading through Mark, we've learned so much as we've read now 14 full chapters of Mark together. But the past couple of weeks, Pastor Julian uh, and I shared Mark chapter 14, okay? And Pastor Julian c contrasted Mary and Judas, right? And then uh, last Sunday, I was able to finish up Mark uh, 14, and we looked at Judas, Peter, and John, Man, who was just messed up by those two words, seeing Mary and Judas and Peter and John? Today, uh, we're going to read the full chapter of Mark 15. Now, it's not as long as Mark 14, okay, but it's a long one, and what we're going to be doing, just like last Sunday, the majority of our time, we're literally going to be reading through, word for word, through the Scripture. Is that okay? The good thing is you have your Bible, and we have it up on the screen for you as well. But uh, just before we jump into Mark 15, remember in Mark 14, what happened? The Last Supper, right? Jesus with his disciples. Then Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane where he prayed, and and laid down his own will to do the will of God. Also, Judas betrayed him and then hung himself. Peter denied him after promising he wouldn't. And John streaked away, scared. Okay? And now Jesus was arrested and now he's in custody, okay, in Jerusalem. Are we ready for Mark 15? Okay, so listen, as we read along, we're going to read uh, you know, some of, through some of it pretty quickly. We'll pause and briefly ponder on a few things throughout. And then at the end, we're going to really focus on one main verse that we're going to break down today. Are, are we good with that? Who's ready for the word? All right. 
Mark 15, starting with verse 1. We're reading from the Amplified because that gives us a greater understanding of the meaning of the words. Early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders and scribes in the whole council, Sanhedrin, Jewish high court, immediately consulted together and they bound Jesus and took him away violently and handed him over to Pilate. Pilate questioned him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus replied to him, it is as you say. The chief priest began accusing him of many things. Then Pilate asked him again, have you no answer to give? See how many charges they're bringing against you? But Jesus gave no further answer. Because the answer had been given, right? <laughs> so Pilate was perplexed. Now at the Passover, Passover feast, Pilate used to set free for them any one prisoner whom they requested. It was a, it was a tradition, okay? The man called Barabbas, everybody say Barabbas, was imprisoned with the insurrectionists or revolutionaries who had committed murder in the civil rebellion. The crowd came up and began asking Pilate to do as he usually did for them. Wait, now Barabbas was a what? Murderer, okay? Pilate answered them saying, do you want me to set free for you the king of the Jews? For he was aware that the chief priest had turned Jesus over to him because of envy and resentment. Come on, even an evil king could see what they were up to. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to get him to release Barabbas for them instead. Again, Pilate answered, then what shall I do with him whom you call the king of the Jews? They screamed back, crucify him. But Pilate asked, why? What has he done that's evil? But they screamed all the more, crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, I want you to say the next three words. Set Barabbas free. For them. And after having Jesus scourged, he, next three words, handed him over to the soldiers to be crucified. A murderer was set free and the perfectly righteous son of God was handed over to be murdered, to be crucified. Maybe you see this, maybe you don't but I believe you will. I want you to say this. I am Barabbas. This is a picture of what happens when we put our trust in Jesus Christ and the cross and what he did for our forgiveness. We, the guilty ones, we get set free, we get released. Because he was handed over to take our place. Come on now, say, I am Barabbas. The soldiers led him away into the palace that is the praetorium, and they called together the entire Roman battalion of 600 soldiers. 
They dressed him up in a ranking Roman officer's robe of purple. And after twisting together a crown of thorns, they placed it on him. And they began saluting and mocking him. Hail, king of the Jews. They kept beating him on the head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling and bowing in mock homage to him. Come on, say torture. Now, after they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him. And they led him out of the city to crucify him. They forced into service a passerby coming in from the countryside. Simon of Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. Then they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which is translated place of the skull. They tried to give him wine mixed with myrrh to dull the pain, but he wouldn't take it. Now, before I read the next phrase, I want you to just prepare your heart, your mind. And sometimes we read through stuff like that. But I want you to think I want you to see in your mind's eye this next phrase. It says, and they crucified him. Four words. They took the perfectly righteous son of God who knew no sin. He'd never sinned. He, had no, he, he didn't know what it was like to, care, to have sin. Okay? And because of our sins, they took him. And they drove spikes through his wrist and then one extra long spike through his feet. Later on in Colossians, it says that the record, our record. Anybody got a record? I don't mean a police record. You might have that too. That's okay. (laughs) But basically, our record, our record, the record that's against us, the record of our sins. Anybody got a record? I, I definitely have a record before Almighty God. It says that the record of our offenses, our sins, was nailed to the cross when he was crucified. Another scripture says he was crucified in our place. Literally, we are crucified with Christ. So it's not just, listen, we have to understand the meaning of this. When we say Jesus died on the cross for us, we don't just mean he did us a favor. Listen, when you say Jesus died on the cross for you, Jesus died on the cross for me, it's not saying, oh, he did us a favor. He did it for us. He did it for us. That's the favor of favors. <laughs> but when, it's, when we say he died for us, it literally means he died instead of us. In our place. He took our place in the crucifixion. Instead of us paying the price for our sins, he paid the price. 
Instead of us receiving the punishment of death, he received the punishment of death for our sins. Come on. And they crucified him and divided up his clothes among himself, casting lots for them to see who should take what. It was the third hour or 9 a.m. when they crucified him. The inscription of the accusation against him had been written above him. The king of the Jews. <laughs> the two crucifi- they crucified two robbers with him. One on his right and one on his left. And as the scripture was fulfilled, uh, and the scripture was fulfilled which says he was counted with the transgressors. Jesus was just treated like a criminal. Those who were passing by were insulting him with abusive and insolent language, wagging their heads as a sign of contempt and saying, Ha! You who said you would destroy the temple and rebuild it in only three days, save yourself by coming down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes, were ridiculing and mocking him and saying, to, uh, saying themselves, among themselves and saying, he saved others from death, right? Because he had literally raised people from the dead <laughs> and saved people from dying from sickness. Isn't it amazing that they realized that he had done that? The people crucifying him realized what he had done. He saved others from death. He can't save himself. Let the Christ, see they're mocking him, the Messiah, the anointed, the king of Israel, now come down from the cross so that we may see and believe and trust in him. Those who were crucified with him were also insulting him. When the sixth hour, noon, came, darkness covered the whole land until the ninth hour, 3 p.m. All right? How many hours is between 9 a.m. and 3 p.m.? Six hours. <laughs> Six hours he was hanging there. Not only suffering from the crown of thorns beaten into his head and all the blood through his hands and his feet. He had also been, we don't have time to go into it, but he also had also been beaten with a cat of nine tails, 39 lashes, just literally bleeding out. But crucifixion also was a form of asphyxiation, suffocation. Because of the way the crucified would hang, would hang uh, they couldn't breathe. And so he's bleeding out as well as suffocating. Six hours. In the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Where are you? You left me. Why have you left me? Some of the bystanders heard him and said, look, he's calling for Elijah. They misunderstood because he said Eloi instead of Eli, right? Someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave him a drink saying, let the sea, rather Elijah, will come and take him down. They're still mocking him. But Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed out his last. Listen, this is what it means in Greek. He breathed out his last, voluntarily, sovereignly dismissing and releasing his spirit from his body in submission to his father's plan. 
Jesus intentionally took death upon himself to pay the price for our sins. And then here's the scripture. I'm going to read it. I'm going to finish the chapter, and then we're going to come back to this one, all right? It says, And the veil of the holy of holies of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. We'll come back. When the centurion who was standing opposite him saw the way he breathed his last being fully in control, he said, Truly, this was the Son of God. This man was the Son of God. Now, some women were also watching from a distance, and, uh, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, the less, and Joseph, Joseph and Salome. When Jesus was in Galilee, they used to accompany him and minister to him, and there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. People think women can't help in ministry. You ought to read the Bible. When, they, when evening had already come, because it was the preparation day, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea came, a prominent and respected member of the council, Sanhedrin, Jewish high court. He was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, and he courageously dared to go in before Pilate and ask for the body of Jesus. Pilate wondered if Jesus was dead by this time only six hours after being crucified, because it usually took longer. And he summoned the centurion and asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that Jesus was, in fact, dead, he gave, the body of, uh, he gave the body to Joseph by granting him permission to remove it. So Joseph, per Joseph purchased a fine linen cloth for wrapping the body. And after taking Jesus down from the cross, he wrapped him in the linen cloth and placed him in a tomb that, which had already been cut out of rock. And he rolled a large wheel-shaped stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, were carefully watching to see where he was laid. All right. Uh, we're going to go back to the verse that we're going to break down today. Because after reading through the entire chapter about the crucifixion and the death of Jesus, there's one thing that happened. I believe that for us, this is the most powerful moment in human history when it comes to our relationship with God. Who wants to enjoy a good relationship with God? Again, a lot of times we read the Bible and we just kind of read through it and just sort of, matter of fact, that's what happened. Boom, keep going. But what happened here, this one scripture, this one sentence is literally the whole gospel message. <laughs> Let's go back. It says, and the veil of the Holy of Holies of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. I'm going to read it again, and I want you to say the underlined words. Are you ready? And the of the of the was in two from 
Come on, let's say, veil, holy of holies, temple, torn, top to bottom. Come on, let's do that again. Veil, holy of holies, temple, torn, top to bottom. You want to know what that means? <laughs> the veil of the holy of holies in the temple was torn from top to bottom. The veil. See, in the Old Testament, sin, when, when, when sin came in, when we committed sin, right, when, when Adam and Eve decided rather than obeying God, they, were, they wanted to do, their, do things their own way instead, right? They rebelled against God. They sinned. Before that, God had literally been with them in the garden. Like that, that's what we were made for, to be close to God in close, intimate relationship with God. No barriers. But when sin came into the world, we got locked out. We got blocked. And because God already had a plan on how he was going to save us, which we're reading right here, he he began to symbolically show us how he was going to save us. Now, see, God still wanted to be with people even though we, people, had locked ourselves out of his presence because of sin. Come on, maybe you didn't know, but you cannot come close to God with sin. Sin create, created an impenetrable barrier between holy God and sinful us. Are we together on this? And, but God still wanted to be with people. So, he had them build, the people of Israel, he had them make this thing called the tabernacle, okay? Have any of you read about the tabernacle? Okay, so the tabernacle, because uh, in, in Moses' time and in the wilderness, they weren't going to yet be in a permanent homeland. So God told them to construct this tent. It was a big tent. They called it the tabernacle of meeting, and it was where God would meet with the people. Okay? And wherever they went, wherever they traveled, the tabernacle would go with them. Wherever they settled, they would have to put the, tab put the tent up, right? The tent of meeting, the tabernacle. And whenever they would move to a new place, they'd have to take it down and take it with them and then set it back up again because that's the way God said, I'm going to travel with you. I'm going to be with you, okay? Even though I can't be with you up close, I'm still going to be among you, okay? But there, there, there was a problem, okay? Later on, when they were, uh, they eventually came into the promised land, and we know that eventually Israel was established as a nation. And then there were King Saul, King David, and after King David was king, 
try that again. King Saul, King David, and after King David was King Solomon. And God allowed Solomon, King Solomon, to instead of having the, 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 the ark or the, the, the ark of the covenant, which was a part of the tabernacle, move around from place to place or far away. He literally, he, he allowed Solomon to build the temple. Okay, so instead of a, a, a tabernacle that moved around, it was a literal permanent place where uh, this all happened that I'm, that I'm talking about. Okay, inside of the tabernacle and eventually the temple, okay, there was a place. Uh, there, there was a place called the outer courts. Right, that's where uh, you know, kind of, it was. It wasn't close. It was outer. <laughs> And then there was the inner courts, and a, a pla- it was called the holy place. So it was like out here, you know, we're not so close to God. The holy place, we're getting closer. It's a place of worship, right? A place of worship. The outer courts, a, a, a lot of scriptures refer to the outer courts like our praise, our thanksgiving. The, the closer in the inner courts, the holy places kind of uh, signifies our worship of Almighty God. But then there was a place called the most holy place or the holy of holies. Now, this is where, listen, this is where the Ark of the Covenant was, okay, inside of which were the Ten Commandments and Aaron's rod that sprouted and some of the manna, right? It was inside of the Ark of the Covenant, and it was set up in the tabernacle in the temple, and then there were these uh, uh, statues of these angels, right, that their wings covered the ark, okay? And then it says, listen, it says that above the ark, when Moses would go in, okay, above the ark where the cherubim were, he would hear the voice of God. God spoke to him from there. So this is literally where God was tangibly manifesting his presence, So it's the closest place. Come on, say holy of holies. The holy of holies or the most holy place isn't just the most holy place. It's the closest place to God. And it was the most holy because it was the most closest. Pardon my bad grammar, but it was the holy of holies because it was the closest of close. It was the holy of holies because it was the most intimate of intimate places with God, okay? And nobody could go in there because that's what sin does. So I'm describing this amazing place where God literally manifested his presence and his, his audible voice was heard, okay? And no one could go in. They could praise him in the outer courts. They could bring their sacrifices of worship and all that kind of stuff. But nobody could go behind the veil. Because from the holy place to the most holy place, the holy of holies, there was this big, long curtain called the veil. Everybody say the veil. That separated the place of his presence. His closeness, his voice. I mean, my sheep hear my voice, 
Something happened for that to be able to happen. Listen, y'all. Tr- That's where God spoke intimately. And no one could go in there except, ready for this? Once a year, the only, the high priest who was representative of the high priest in heaven, Jesus, who was to come and be the high priest, right? Our sacrifice. But only once a year could the high priest go in, right? After the, the blood had been shed, okay, of the, the animal, okay, that God was accepting its death, for the death, for the sins of people, God was temporarily accepting the blood of an animal to listen to this, to cover people's sins, not take them away. The Bible says that the blood of animals' sacrifices could never take away our sins. It just covered it up. Okay? So the priest, the high priest would go in once a year. It says, the Bible says, to make atonement. Okay? What does that mean? Okay? He would go in. He was only allowed to go in once, and he had to wear bells. Okay? Because if the high priest had not done everything the way he was supposed to do, he would drop dead when he walked in the Holy of Holies because of sin. He had to make sure he had done all the sacrifices perfectly, and he'd followed all of the instructions perfectly, and then he would go into the Holy of Holies, right? And through this process of the sacrifice, blood, and all of this, right, God would say, I cover the sins of my people, and I accept them to worship me. I can accept their worship. Right? Are you following along? The veil of the temple, the veil of the Holy of Holies in the temple. See, up until this, until this point, you ready? No public access to the presence of God. Up until this moment, this system was still in place. No access to be close to God. Sins were covered up. Through the sacrifices, and worship was, quote-unquote, accepted, right? That's why clean and unclean, right? I know this is a lot of Old Testament stuff, and if you're like, woo, that's fine. Listen, just read through the Bible every word next year, and you'll really get it. All right, all right. But until this moment, there was the, the temple, and there was the curtain, the veil, and behind it was the Holy of Holies, right? The place of closeness and intimacy with God. Why? Well, because sin had locked us out. Not only that, the Bible talks about our sin creating, are you ready? This is so powerful if you can get it. 
Our sin literally creates a veil over our eyes. And listen, what happens when your eyes are veiled? You can't see. This is the deal. People knew all about God, but they could not really see them for themselves. Even the Jews, even those who God had chosen through them to bring the Messiah, even, even they couldn't see him clearly. No one could. Why? Because sin had not only locked us out of his presence, like the place of closeness with God, but also the veil had created a blinder. See, the veil is, is blindness. The veil is bl- We can't, and I don't mean physically see God, but you, there's a difference between knowing about God and literally being able to see him in your heart. If you don't know what I'm talking about, maybe today you'll experience it. You can see God on the inside. I see him every day. So you see him? Well, yes. I don't just see his creation and his works, but I can, I can see. I can see who God is. Because the veil is no longer there. But here the veil was there. And again, I've already described it, but the holy of holies, let's get this one up. The veil is blindness. The holy of holies is the secret place. Now, forever, it was the secret place of God. (laughs) And no one was allowed except the high priest once a year for one day. If you've been in church a while and you've heard the term the secret place, this ought to bring a totally new understanding of it. See, the holy of holies was God's secret place. Nobody was allowed in there because it was close. It was intimate. It was where you could see him and hear him. And it was only reserved for a once a year encounter for the high priest. But you guys, I'm trying to go in order. It's so hard to go in order. Now, let let me come back to that. The temple was the place of worship, right? For everybody. So there's the temple, it's the place of worship. The Holy of Holies is the secret place. And the veil makes it the secret place. It was the blinder. It was it locked everyone out. Okay. In the new covenant of God's grace because of what happened on this day. I could blast through the roof at excitement with this. I'm trying to. Where's the temple now? 
Some of you just got it. Some of your faces just, your countenance just changed. Where's the temple now? You're the temple. I'm the temple. Listen, what God always wanted. What God always wanted. God's original design, his original intention for us was to be the place of his presence. Not only sort of, not only in a religious way, no, literally, listen, now, if you got that, you've got to get this. If this body, now touch, touch, just touch your body. So this is the temple now. Okay. If this is the temple, uh-oh, uh-oh, where's the holy of holies now? If this body is the temple, God's original plan, his original design, where in the world is the holy of holies now? Are you saying that the Holy of Holies is inside of us now? Yeah, that's why it was such a big deal when Jesus said, listen, it's better for me to go back because I'll send the Holy Spirit. When Jesus returned to the Father and sent his Spirit, this is what was so powerful, he's with you now, but later he'll be in you. We have the Holy of Holies. We don't just have access to the Holy of Holies. It's inside of us. Because that's where the Spirit of God now dwells. So I'm not too in touch with the Holy of Holies. You could be. You say, I I'm not sure the Holy of Holies is in me. We can help you with that today. Listen, how do we, how do we get the Holy Presence of God on the inside of us? You have to believe that Jesus died in your place. That he, listen, not a high priest with the blood of animals to just cover up sin. No, no, no. Jesus, the high priest in heaven, the high priest on earth was just a symbol. The high priest in heaven came in flesh as one of us, and he didn't offer the blood of animals. He offered his own blood himself and when he did see what happened couldn't happen until he died are you following this what happened and the veil of the holy of holies of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom it could not happen until the blood was shed and the high priest from heaven died in our place and offered himself as the one and only perfect, acceptable sacrifice once and for all, for all mankind. Hallelujah! And now, now where's the Holy of Holies? Come on. Say, it's in here. I don't know... It's hard to describe it, 
But so many times when I feel the presence of God, it's in here. Now, I can feel him in the room, and I feel him sometimes in chill bumps and all that kind of stuff. I've seen the glory of God. I've seen, some of you believe, some of you don't. I have seen with my own eyes on me the gold dust of God's glory presence. I've seen it. It's been on me. I've, I've experienced him in many ways. But the most powerful way I experience the presence of God is right in here. You guys, I can see him. <laughs> I can see him. I can feel him. I can hear him. I hear him speak to me every day. Do you? <sighs> Come on, say, my body is the temple. And my spirit is the holy of holies. <laughs> because of the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus made my spirit an acceptable place. For his very spirit to live. That's why Jesus said, I'm going to the Father, but we're going to come to you and make our home in you. And then the Bible calls us together the temple of God, his dwelling place on earth. So we're each individual temples, but we're also that tabernacle that moves around from place to place wherever we go. Right? We are the carriers of his presence. We pray for revival all the time. Guess where revival needs to happen for it to be able to happen out there? It's got to happen in here. We say, God, pour your spirit out on our city. And he wants to. But guess where he's going to pour his spirit out first? In here. The outpouring of the spirit's going to happen out there because it happens in here. We become that moving, breathing, living temple, tabernacle of God. And we take what's happening on the inside of the holy of holies. And we exude it. We transmit it. See, the temple was the place of worship. Now we're the temple. Now worship is not a place. Worship is a lifestyle. And that's why Jesus told the Samaritan woman, it doesn't matter where you worship anymore. In fact, he said, the time is coming. No, in fact, it's here now because I'm here. doesn't matter anymore where you worship. Your life is worship. As he said, it's in spirit and in truth. In fact, God is spirit, and the only way to worship him is in spirit. And in truth, with our lifestyle, in spirit, on the inside, in the holy of holies, in truth, on the outside, by the way we live, right? See, worship is no longer, doesn't happen any longer at a temple. We are. Our lifestyle is worship unto God. How's your worship going? Whoo. How's your worship going? I don't know about you, but I need to work. I want to work some more on my worship. I need to be a better tabernacle. I haven't even gotten to my favorite part yet, but we're almost done, okay? Save the best for last. The veil in the temple that separated the Holy of Holies from everything else wasn't pulled back. It wasn't just like, Yoo-hoo, I'm in here. Never mind. Right? Listen, 
Because that's the way we treat God, right? It's like, oh, I'm going to take a peek at God today. Oh, you're there. Hallelujah. Okay. Moving right along. And we just forget, like, the access we have to him. Listen, the veil wasn't pulled back. The veil was torn. It's gone. It ripped in two. It, the barrier wasn't moved out of the way. The barrier was removed. Okay? Do you see this? The barrier that our sins caused between God and us wasn't just set to us to the side. It was completely obliterated. It was removed because the veil wasn't pushed back. It was totally torn from top to bottom. This means barriers are totally removed. And what it signifies is that Jesus' body was torn. The veil was torn as representation of the, the fact of what had just happened to Jesus' body. Okay? His body was torn, and through that, oh my God. <sighs> what did Jesus tell his disciples that had been around him and seen him do miracles and raise the dead, and they still didn't get who he was? What did he say? When the Son of Man is lifted up on the cross, then you will see who I am. Then you will know. It wasn't until his body was torn that the veil could be completely removed and we could see God for who he really is and what he's really like. The veil was torn because Jesus' body had just been torn, broken on the cross. And I love the fact that it says it was torn from top to bottom. No more barriers. Top to bottom, ready? It was complete. It wasn't partially torn. It was an almost all the way torn from top to bottom means there's nothing more to be accomplished. Top to bottom, beginning to end. The entirety of the barrier that locked us out of in the place of closeness with God, top to bottom torn in two. It's gone. Unfixable. <laughs> that wouldn't be fixing it. But listen, nothing can ever reverse what Jesus did. It's top to bottom. It's gone. This means, are you ready? Somebody ready to shout? Listen, because the veil of the Holy of Holies in the temple was torn from top to bottom, it means the place of intimacy with God is permanently open. <laughs> permanently, permanently and continuously open. 
we have total freedom to totally come totally all the time. Listen, because sometimes we get close to God when we think we're doing good. When we've had a good week. I can come close today because I've had a good week. I've been behaving. We can never behave well enough. And we sort of kind of, sort of, kind of halfway, three quarters of a way come close to God because we don't feel total freedom to totally, completely come. All that we are, warts and all, right? All of our inconsistencies, all of our weakness, all of our screw-ups, Because the veil was torn from top to bottom, listen, there's nothing to jump over. There's no hurdle. There's no red tape. The only red thing is, is the blood of Jesus. Sin locked us out. The veil blinded us from the place of close proximity, the Holy of Holies, in the place of worship, the temple. But when Jesus died, his body was torn and then the veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom. And now we have total freedom to come. Not once, not just to get saved. Total, complete, all the time, every day, in every moment, freedom to come. Now, got to remember it's because of the blood of Jesus. Without the blood of Jesus, try coming. Don't try coming. You can't come. <laughs> Listen, if you have not, if the blood of Jesus has not washed you of your sin, you can't come. For you, the Bible says, literally, the Bible says, I think it's in Corinthians, that the veil is still there. Until we turn to the Lord Jesus, the veil is still there. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed and we receive total freedom to come. Have you embraced, have you fully embraced the work of the cross? Thank you so much for tuning in today. I really believe God spoke to you through his word today and is moving in your life. If you'd like more information about Encounter Church or you'd like to give your tithes and offerings, you can visit our website at EncounterChurchAtlanta.org. I'd also like to invite you to share this message on social media. Thanks again.